0: Testing. I just wanted to read some scripture with everybody. As you can see, I'm a little nervous. Acts one ten, Acts one twelve three fourteen. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. And all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you for this church family. Thank you for all your blessings. God, I thank you for this service, and I ask you to be with each and every one of us, and open up our hearts and clear our minds. Let us receive this message, and we ask you to be with Justin as he delivers it. And we ask all this in Christ's name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Mike. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the passage that Mike just read, Acts chapter 1. We will be there in 12 through 14 uh, this morning. This morning and next week, we will uh, conclude uh, chapter 1 of Acts. I told you that uh, we were just going to take your time uh, going through, and so I guess that would be put us at six weeks in chapter 1, so on that course we've, uh, we'll, we'll be a little while. And so, but anyway, Acts chapter 1. Uh, if you haven't been with us, so you can go to our, our website, crosspointchurch.org, uh, and you can kinda get, get caught up there. Uh, Daniel actually changed to where uh, our, our audio versions used to be through SoundCloud, now they're on Spotify. Uh, and so if you have a Spotify account, whatever, you can actually just stream our sermons on, on Spotify as well, Crosspoint, maybe MS or something on Spotify. But anyway, so uh, we've been the past, I guess, four weeks uh, in, 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 in Acts chapter one. Uh, i just kind of give you, let's just fly through real quick uh, to um, uh, bring us all back up to speed. So uh, Acts is written by a fellow named Luke. Uh, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke uh, also wrote the Book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, it's actually just one work that's broken up into two sections. Uh, we know that by that by how he begins each one and in, and in, and in the. In the in chapter 1 of Luke, he writes to a fellow named Theophilus, and he gives him his purpose. And the purpose of him writing that was so that uh, Theophilus, on, on, upon reading this the gospel account and also the Acts of the Apostles, that Theophilus would grow in certainty about the things that he had been heard. And so uh, it's important for us, uh, whenever we're studying scripture, uh, to connect to the, the purpose of that letter, per the, the purpose of that book. And it can't mean anything uh, different for us that it did didn't mean for them. And so when, when Luke wrote this, he wrote so that Theophilus would grow in certainty upon reading these. And so when you and I are reading then studying through the book of Acts, the purpose is the same that Luke has for Theophilus, that we would be certain about Jesus, would be certain that he he actually took on flesh, that he that he lived on this this world, that he died, and that he was buried and that he was raised again, and he ascended on high, then he sent the spirit down, like we could be certain about that you and I don't gather around a myth or a legend today, but that we gather around a, a risen, ruling, reigning Christ who is seat, seated at the right hand of the Father to one day who will return to get His people. Like We are certain about those things. And so as I, as we walk through this account, this historical narrative of really the first 30 to 40 years of church history is what we're diving into. Uh, some of it, uh, Luke and I were talking this past week, some of the sermons, uh, one of the cool, uh, one of the things about teaching the Bible in this way is that some Sundays it's like fireworks and the best sermon you've ever heard. Like last week, Luke's on the Ascension. I know it wasn't the word that Luke word gave, the word that the Lord gave Luke was like, that's one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my whole life. Uh, and then I've got to come up after him and preach on them replacing Judas. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we're going to do that next week. But uh, what, what we're doing, as, I don't know why I started talking about that. Uh, you know, we're just opening the scriptures. And as we're walking through as the body, we're, we pray that we grow in certainty. Um, John MacArthur sums up chapter one this way. John MacArthur's smarter than me and Luke combined, so, uh, and all of us. But anyway, uh, he, 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 he summarizes chapter one by a list of a lot of M's, And so uh, he, he talks about how in chapter one, when we read Acts, it's really Jesus preparing the disciples everything that they were going to need prior to the Spirit coming. Uh, and so in uh, and, and two weeks from now, we will get, actually get to chapter two when the Spirit comes. But uh, really in summation of chapter one to where we are right now, first of all in chapter one is that, that Jesus gave his guys the right message. That's what you see in verse two when he says, that he says uh, that he, he had given commands to the Spirit and to the apostles that he may have chosen. He had given them the gospel message. Uh, he gave them the right manifestation. He, he presented himself and said, look, I'm resurrected. And and so the, the apostles were able to, to hear the message. They were able to see the resurrected Jesus. He gave them the right might when it says, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you. Gave them the right mystery whenever uh, uh, whenever they ask, hey, is this, is this the time that you're going to set up your kingdom? Kingdom. And he said, it's not for you to know that. And, and the reason why there's a mystery there, ultimately, I think Jesus' statement there was intended so that you and I would live each and every day as if Christ was coming back tomorrow. Uh, there's that, that mystery of when is he, when is he returning uh, and the reality of his returning. And I want us to be certain that he is returning uh, by the time we get through the, at least the first eight chapters. And that leaves a certain amount of urgency, right? And, and I want to say this is that uh, the, the talks about Christ. Uh, uh, first advent and Christ's second advent they're not mutually exclusive to one another whenever whenever if we have a right healthy view of the of the of the second coming it produces urgency to share about his first coming Uh, and so I think that's what we see here is this there's this mystery that he leaves going all right I gotta live I gotta wake up each and every day as if Christ is coming back today uh, and being purpose on the mission he gives them the mission, you'll be my witnesses. Uh, and then he talks about the motives whenever uh, the angel says he's coming, he'll be coming back. And so that's kind of what's happening in chapter one so far, Jesus preparing his men. Then we'll get to the, the, the verse 12. Uh, it, they, the disciples enter into one of those, or the apostles enter in one of those uh, moments, days, I think we think it's about 10 days uh, of waiting. And the apostles were familiar with waiting. Uh, like imagine, like go back to uh, when Jesus had died on the cross. All right? so Friday happened in between friday and Resur- Resur- resurrection sunday there was a day in between it called saturday could you imagine the waiting of saturday for these guys right they're they're familiar with waiting that jesus promised i will be i will the temple i will destroy the temple but in 3 days already there was a promise and so friday like the like it had happened, like the temple had been torn down, but it hadn't been built back up yet. And so here they find themselves once again, living between, living between the promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come and the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit coming down. So they find themselves in a season of waiting again. They're, they're waiting about, all right, what do we do here? And So about on Tuesday, actually, Monday, Tuesday this week, I really, I really had planned to do the whole chapter uh, the whole finished the whole chapter, and then the word Lord gave me a word, and to see this is that here they are in chapter one. Now they know what to say. Christ had given them the right message. They knew that Jesus was alive. They had seen him. They knew that they would be clothed with power on high when the Spirit came. They knew that Jesus was coming back one day, and was and they were ready to live in urgency. They knew the mission, they had the right motive, but the spirit had not come yet. So what do you do when you wait? And in, in, in between the, the promise and the fulfillment, and that's where we find ourselves, actually, church, that there's a promise that Christ is returning, uh, but it hasn't been fulfilled yet. We're, we're living in between the promise and the fulfillment. Much like the, now their, theirs was obviously between the Spirit being promised and the Spirit coming, now the Spirit has come. We live in between. Anyway, so what do we do? I want you to see in, in verses 12 through 14 about what they did in their waiting. Church, when you think about waiting, what comes to mind? Just waiting in general. For some of us, I think about like a nervous pace, like I'm waiting to get a phone call. I'm waiting for something to happen. I can't get settled. I can't get still. The reality is that you and I in 2021 as Americans, we stink at waiting. Like we can't do it. Matter of fact, like we will pay boozles of money to get things faster. Like Amazon Prime, everybody wants to throw, you know, start boycotting Amazon Prime now because they're four days getting your stuff here instead of two days getting your stuff here, right? And so uh, we, we, we don't wait. Fast food restaurants, like, don't, get, don't, don't let it be backed up. Let Chick-fil-A have a bad day, and we're going to go nuts, we don't know how to wait. We're uncomfortable with waiting. And I, obviously I know that's surface level things, but in our lives, whenever God's pumped the brakes in our life, we're terrible at waiting to, be, or to hear from our Savior. We're terrible at the, the living in between Friday and Sunday. We don't do a good job on Saturdays. We get frazzled. We get confused. We get, and at that point, we're easily vulnerable to the lives of the enemy. Right? And so what did, what did the disciples do in their waiting? What did they do? Imagine the disciples. So what we see is that, if we look at verse 12. Let me read these again. I know Mike read them. And this is what they said. It says, so then, they being the apostles, returned to Jerusalem. And so Luke tells us where they were. Uh, They were actually in Bethany, right outside of Bethany there. That's where Jesus actually ascended. Luke tells us that in his gospel. Uh, And so so they returned to Jerusalem from a mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey, which means they're about three quarters of a mile away from Jerusalem. So that's how they, they walked back there after that. Verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, John, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. And these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What seems like just Luke giving us a historical nar- narrative, I think it can help us a lot and how to navigate waiting. I think what they did actually teaches us a lot. So if you're taking notes, first of all, while they were waiting, they were obedient to what they had heard. They were obedient to what they had heard. You see, in verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem Say, Justin, how do you know they're being obedient to what they heard? Well, verse 4, Jesus says, uh, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 24, which is going to come up on the screen, Verses 48 uh, through the rest of the chapter says, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But check out what he says. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. And he led them far as uh, far out as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was. Uh, carried up into heaven and they worshiped him. Check out these words and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. There's joy in the waiting and we're continually in the temple blessing God. And so Jesus ascends. The spirit hasn't come yet. So what do the apostles do? They obey the last thing they heard from Jesus, which is what? To go to Jerusalem, to stay in Jerusalem. As I said, Beth is right as far out as Bethany. That's right on the backside of the Mount of Olives, about a three uh, quarter of a mile uh, walk back. And so while they were waiting, they obeyed the, the last thing they had heard him tell them to do. They were to stay in Jerusalem. They knew the mission would start there. They also knew that would be where their spirit came down. But I want you to see that in their waiting, they obeyed the last thing. They obeyed what they knew. They kept obeying what they had been revealed. Here's a truth for you. In your waiting, keep obeying the last thing the Lord has told you. Right. We don't, waiting is tough for us. And I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what this season looks like for you. But what happens is, is whenever we're, we're in a season where we feel like God has pumped the brakes in our life and he's told us just to wait on it, we're constantly looking for something new. We're constantly looking, well, the Lord's, where's the Lord at? And, and what we see here in the apostles is that they, they hadn't got a fresh word. That spirit hadn't come yet. So all they had to go on is what they knew about Jesus behind and what Jesus had told them. So they continued to walk in that obedience. Right? And for, for me and you as, as the church is that, man, sometimes we operate, right? We operate thinking that, 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 that each and every day that God's going to tell us something new to do. And the reality is for most of us, let's be honest for a moment, we weren't obedient to this thing in the first place. Why in the world would we think that God was going to give us something else? Right, we, we're, we're in this season, maybe it's tough, maybe it's hard, and you want to get through it. And, but what happens is we look at waiting as a lot of times we, we, we label trusting God and fatalism. We label trusting in God as I just get to sit back and be lazy, and I don't have to keep fighting the fight. Right, what we see with these disciples, they were in this waiting, yes, for the Holy Spirit to come, but they kept walking with what Jesus had revealed to them. Oh, child of God, don't you sit down and call it waiting whenever you're not actively walking in obedience to the Lord right now. You may not have got a new word, but you got a word back here. Let's walk in that. Let's keep walking there until we get something new. Keep walking in obedience. Man, obedience, we don't like that word anymore. My generation, what we've done with the word obedience, we saw it was inconvenient, so we called it legalism. Now you can't add stuff to grace. It's gra- of course, that's what the book of Galatians is about. You don't have to tell me that you don't have to add things to grace, but... By grace, we are empowered and enabled to walk in obedience. For, it's like a, we know, we call it a new creation. But What happens is, is by grace and through the indwelling, sorry, I'm getting hot up here, y'all. Uh, through the indwelling of the Spirit is that now we are actually able to, to walk in obedience the way that we were originally created to walk in the first place. I don't talk about, it, you gotta listen to me. Obedience is the, the mark of the Christian life. That I've laid my life down to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it's not my life anymore. You know how we worship? You know how God gets the most honor out of our life? Not whenever we we raise our hands and sing songs. Now, He's he's getting honor there. He gets the most honor out of my near life when we're obedient to His call on. We all, we all want to worship God in this big momentous momentous experience. And I'm going to talk about those experiences. I'm going to talk about what I'm calling familiar places in a little bit. But we want to chase God on these mountaintops. And this is where it's sad. Listen to me. Hey, you honor God the most when you're obedient to him. And the way you love your wife and the way that you raise your kids, the way that you, what you're enabling your kids to treasure the most, and, and the way that we interact with people, that's how you honor God the most. Sorry, I didn't mean to actually get off and actually preach at that point. Trusting in God is active. It's not inactive. We don't just sit back and, oh, is me. No, we keep walking with the Lord. We keep trusting Him each day. We keep obeying what we know. And this morning, if you're waiting for the Lord in some way, I want to ask you to keep walking in obedience to what you know, to the last thing He's revealed to you. second while they were waiting they went to a familiar place so they go back to Jerusalem because that's what Jesus had told them to do check out verse 13 and when they had entered they went up to the this is going to sound familiar upper room where they were staying So they go back to Jerusalem because that's what Jesus had told them. And then they went, when they got to Jerusalem, they went to an upper room. So, Justin, you can't prove that this was the actual upper room of the last night when they were Christ before he died. I would say you can't prove it wasn't. Uh, Now, most people actually believe that this was the uh, the same place. uh, And so then if you're not familiar with this, the night before Jesus died, Before he was betrayed by Judas, he spent a night in an upper room with his disciples. And there he talked to them about the Spirit and how he wouldn't leave them as orphans. That's where he washed their feet. And that's whenever he he told Peter that he would deny him and that somebody would betray him. Like, that was the last night. Matter of fact, we can read about it in Luke chapter 22. This is what's awesome, by the way. Luke being the same author of both of these, you understand a lot about Acts by reading Luke and vice versa. You can connect the two. It's what's cool about the Bible. Hey, did you know this child of God that you don't have to have the utmost number of commentaries to understand the word of God. All you need is the word of God. It's sufficient in itself. It teaches you by itself. Anyway, that wasn't in my notes either, so that was free. You're welcome. Luke 22 uh, is where we where we hear by this upper room. So, verse seven, it's gonna come up on the screen. It Says, then it came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus went. Uh, so, so Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, "Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it." They said to him, "But where will you have us prepared?" And he said to them, "Behold, when you have entered the city, so that's what they, they entered the city." And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, following him. follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house. And the teacher says to, says to you, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Check out verse 12. And he will show you a large upper room. There's the word large there. I think, I think Luke was showing you, because what we'll see here in a minute is there's about a, it wasn't just the 12 or 11 apostles plus Matthias and the other guy that, they cast lots to figure out who God was going to choose. We'll get to that next week. I'm not going to deal with lots this week. Uh, we're not rolling dice today. Uh, but what we understand is that there was other women there. Mary was there, Jesus' brothers there, and actually almost 100, like 120-plus people. And so Luke's saying this is a very large room, this upper room. Often, oftentimes we think of the upper room just being like this little bitty. You know, Luke is very descriptive there, and he says it's a large room, and I think it's Important for us to catch that. But anyway, so the, the, they go back to the upper room. They were obedient to the last thing they heard, and they went back to the upper room, the place that they had spent the night with Jesus before his death, his arrest and death. They went back to a familiar place. You can turn to John's Gospel, we're not going to do it, and check out chapters 13 through 17, and you can see the the description of that last night in the upper room. There he talks about uh, how he would lay his life down and that he, would, that he would raise again. He talked about how he wouldn't leave them as orphans, that he would send the Spirit. And, you know, I may be putting too much into this, but they were human, so they had memories. And I'm sure when they went to that upper room, there was some nostalgia that came about. I'm sure because Jesus had ascended, the Spirit wasn't come. Maybe they were feeling like orphans just for a little bit. But as soon as they walked in the upper room, Peter's like, hey, do you remember Jesus telling us that he wasn't going to leave us as orphans? Hey, do you, do you remember that that he said that he would die, but he also said that he would raise again, he promised it and he was faithful to that, like he did, like he fulfilled that promise. And so they, they were in this familiar place that I'm sure while they were there, they were thinking about the teachings of Jesus and the promises and the fulfillments and the faithfulness of God in his son. And we, they, they, they remember that. And I'm sure they thought back on those things. They meditated, I'm sure, on the faithfulness of God. They went back to a familiar place. Truth for you is in your waiting, visit familiar places. That's just not like a physical place. In your waiting times in your life, when think about times when you've experienced God. When's the last time you visited those places in your mind? I could sit up here, uh, you know, I don't tell a whole lot of stories, and, but I, I contemplated this morning sharing like these stories that I have these familiar places. I'm not going to do that, but all of us have those, those places, right? We, we have those seasons in our life where we know that we were walking with the Lord and that we heard His voice and we were being obedient. And, and sometimes those seasons are mountaintops, but the reality, for most of us, they're valleys. For most of us, whenever we got punched in the face by life and we learned what it meant to have a good shepherd, Right? Like that's, that's what most of us. And, and so those familiar places where you think about God's faithfulness and you think about God working and how God has worked and how God has brought you out of something and into something else and, and how God's been faithful in your life. You, you visit those familiar places. Cause when we're waiting, whenever we're in that season or whatever we're waiting for that we don't like, Hey, keep obeying the last thing you heard, but, but to go back and vi- visit those familiar places. That's why it's important for you and I to be familiar with the Word of God. Not just only one, but be familiar with the the promises and the history of the Bible. How God was faithful. We talked about this in Ruth, how the book ends with just a bunch of generations. Why? It's because God was faithful from generation to, generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. You and I can read scripture and see that God has been faithful then, he, He'll be faithful now. That, that we can, we can, we can, we can, we have to be familiar because here's the reality. Whenever we're in seasons like this, we, we need God as our refuge. We talked about this maybe last summer in our Psalms of Refuge series where we talked about how do we take refuge. In an invisible God. You ever thought about that? God is our refuge, our strong tower. How, how do you hide in something that you can't see? Right? Like maybe I'm just elementary in thinking, but that doesn't make physical sense. How do you do that? Well, number one is through God's word. God's word is a tangible refuge for his saints and his children. Is that through the Word of God that we find refuge and strength for today and hope for tomorrow? It's it's in the God's Word that we that we see who we are in Christ, and we are revealed that this is who we are by 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 virtue of adoption. That God loves us and that God cares for us as as His children. He isn't this God who who's up in heaven who 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 just doesn't. God delights in you, child of God. We read this word and we, we see that we're, we're, we're more than conquerors in Christ, that we're, we're free and free indeed in Christ, and that we don't have to succumb to the things of this world and the attacks of our enemy. So in seasons of waiting, God's word stands strong and active. What's the second way that we seek refuge in an invisible God? We see the, what they did in 13b, but... The second tangible refuge is God's people. How do we seek refuge in the invisible God? Through his word and through his people. They're two tangible things. And that's exactly the third thing they did. When they were waiting, what did they do? They stayed together. Check out verse 13b. So they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and they list all of the remaining disciples, and there's women there, and there's Mary and Jesus's brothers, in their waiting, they didn't isolate. In their waiting, they didn't just go do their own business. When they were waiting, they stayed together. They connected to one another. They they stayed together. Verse fourteen says they were with one accord. They stay connected. They they stay connected with people that had a shared purpose and passion and beliefs. They didn't isolate themselves. They. And this was the tra- trajectory of these guys. What you'll see as we walk through the book of acts is that time and time again now they they did a the forsake the assembly on a weekly basis obviously. But when times really got tense, they rallied together real quick. Like when things, when things hit, like we'll see it in Acts chapter 4, like whenever, whenever Peter and John get told, hey, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter looks at him and said, dude, I can't help it. I've got to. I don't care what you do to me. What do they do? They ran back and the brothers got together and they just they, they lifted one another up. Like we'll see this over and over again that they connect to one another. When things get tough, they don't disperse and isolate. They, they grow closer together. Right, and we do that. We whenever I've got something going on, I don't want somebody to come love on me and support on me because I've I don't need your help. Right, like we're different now. Like where whenever life hit them in the face, they they rallied together. When most of us, we're so self reliant that we don't need the church itself. Now, listen to me. In times of waiting, in times of whatever, be like them and we we stay together. They didn't new life apart from staying connected to each other. In Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as as the day uh, drawing near. Listen to me, I'm not using this verse to beat you over the head saying, don't miss church because God's going to keep your attendance in heaven. What I'm saying is when you neglect meeting with God, the, the, God's people, you're hurting yourself. It's crippling your faith journey with Jesus to not connect with the people of God. Because we need each other. God has designed us that way. The so truth is in our waiting, stay connected to God's people. The church is the second tangible refuge that God has given us to hide within. When you're in a season of waiting, stay connected with people with shared values, passions, and beliefs. In the seasons, listen to me, we are vulnerable in those times. We don't need people who are vulnerable to deception. So we need to stay close to people who care for you and love you. You need to stay close to people who want you to be conformed to the image of Christ. You need people in your life who want you happy, but also holy. That's the people we connect to. Fourthly, I promise I'm done with this one. And they're waiting. They were obedient to what they heard. They I just can't even remember all my points. They went to a familiar place. They stayed connected. And fourthly, they prayed. Verse 14 says, with all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They stayed together and they prayed together. And it's not just the apostles. There was women and Mary and Jesus' brothers. Hey, did you know that this verse right here is the last time that we see the name of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the rest of the Bible? That's it. Just think about that when you think about sending Mary on high. And glorious like she's, she's there believing in her son and praying to her son and the brothers, just as and we don't hear about her anymore. She's, she was important. Obviously, she mothered the son of God, but she's not to be worshipped. Anyway. Give honor where honor is due, but give worship to the king alone. <clears throat> I've got notes somewhere. There we are. All of these met in one accord and they prayed. They prayed for the Holy Spirit to come. They they prayed for power in the mission, for God's will to be known, for for his kingdom to come and be built. They, They prayed for his return. They prayed for the Lord of harvest to send laborers. How do I know that? Because that's what they were instructed to pray about. So the last truth is in your waiting, pray fervently. Pray in your waiting, continue to go to the Lord and confess your dependence upon him. James five sixteen says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed for the prayer of a righteous person that has great power as it is working. So when what you see in these apostles and how they are reacting and operating in their waiting is really what you see is them ultimately, I think I can say this without being biblically incorrect. They were being the church before the church was ever even born. They were urging each other in obedience. They were pushing each other for good works. They were connecting to one another. They were supporting one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, and praying together for one another. It becomes the blueprint of what we see in chapter two. What did they do in chapter two? They kept meeting together, praying, studying the apostles' teachings, and day by day God added to their numbers not because not because they had the best preacher in the world or the greatest music or the coolest building because it just the church was being the church and they were loving one another and the Lord in each day God added to their number so are you this morning in a season of waiting i know this seems you know I just saw fit that, that, that looked good. It uh, looked like that's what the Lord had for us this morning. So are you in a season of waiting? If so, look at the apostles in those three verses and keep obeying what you've heard. Visit those familiar places in your life. Think about God's faithfulness. Don't isolate yourself and pray fervently. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is, it's alive today, that it speaks to us. God, I pray for anyone in here this morning who is, is in a time where they they would label it waiting. Or maybe a time of just wanting to hear from you. God, to pray for their heart, pray for their mind. God, I pray that even through the uncertainty that they keep following you. God, you've spoken to us through your son, but God, you've spoken to us through your word. And God, we know the sufficiency of this Bible teaches us how to walk in a way in an obeying you. So God, may we look to your word to know how to follow you. God, I pray for one in here who's maybe doubting your faithfulness. God, that you would remind them of familiar places in their life. Some of those may be physical. Maybe they need to go drive to an old church somewhere. Maybe they need to go drive somewhere and or call somebody. God, maybe through their their mind and their imagination, God, you can take them back to those places they remember your your faithfulness from generation to generation in their life. The things that you've you've done. God, I pray that seasons of pressure and waiting causes us to to turn inward to the to the body, to the church, not to Run away and isolate, but God, for us to to dig our heels in together, God, I pray that this season for our lives brings us to our knees, so that we understand we are Yours, and God, that we will confess in prayer that we need You to do this thing called life. It's in Christ. Now we pray. Amen.